Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day. All right. Wow. This is going to be a great time. I am, you know what, I've been looking to um, interview a number of religious uh, throughout the world. And my, one of my producers, Ashley Zurich, uh, stumbled upon uh, one of the great ones, uh, Canadian, um, uh, Sister Sue Mosteller of the, uh, is, it, is, is your, what, what is your order, Sister? Sisters of St. Joseph of Toronto. Oh, nice. So Sisters of St. Joseph in, in Toronto. And wow, what a life she's led and is leading. And so I'm really blessed, lucky um, to, to interview her and maybe introduce uh, you to somebody that is a little bit north of the border for us, but what's, has had a huge impact on what's going on. And, I, and so welcome so much, Sister. Glad to be here, Joe. It's really a pleasure. Thank you. So listen, we're, we're in the middle of this craziness right now in the world. Uh, everything's come to a, a standstill in America. I'm assuming it's, it's similar up in uh, Toronto as well, right? Same thing, same thing. Yeah. No, we're locked in. Yeah. And so um, very interesting time. Um, I mean, I guess over the centuries, you know, there's been the bubonic plague, there's been the Spanish flu epidemic a uh, hundred and some years ago. And, you know, these are, these are kind of century times that we're living in. And, and although we're very, you know, uh, wired now where you and I can talk and you're in Toronto, I'm in Chicago. Um, we're, it's almost back, we're back to the basics where everybody's got to stay in their house. How, how, is, how are you dealing with that, sister? <laughs> well, I have to say that I think I'm experiencing a miracle, and I don't know how to say that otherwise, but I, said, I have to say, like, I live in a home with six other sisters, and we're all over 80, and um, we've been locked up together for the last eight weeks, and we don't go out because we're, we're all afraid to bring the virus back in, so, so we're really careful. Like, even just to go and mail a letter, you're just kind of nervous because you don't want to make anybody else sick in the house. But the, uh, the beautiful thing is that, uh, you know, we're retired, so we have time. I have time. I, I, I'm happy because I can pray more. I, I'm happy to spend more time with Jesus. And we have a beautiful little chapel, and I can go there. Sometimes I fall asleep, but uh, I, I never care because I'm just entrusted to him anyway. But the, the fact that we're still getting along, that we can still have such amazing, great laughs together, and that we're everybody's, with all their diminishments, I mean, everybody is just making this huge effort to be relational. And I'm just learning things about love that, uh, that really nourish my heart, because I watch them, you know, one who can hardly see, another one who's on a walker, somebody else who's experiencing a lot of allergies, and so on. But but they come to the dinner table, they, we come and we get together and, and we're just very congenial. Now that has to be a miracle. <laughs> anything else. I just, every, half, every day I have to give thanks because that's, I just ask God every day to give us the love for each other that, that God has and help us to 
to love one another, but that, that is, uh, it's, a, it's such a gift. You know, one of the things, that, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do uh, a podcast, and I started this uh, a little bit before we, we, this whole thing hit, but, but I really identified it um, when, during this time, is uh, there's so much negativity and bad news out there that I wanted to interview people that have had um, a life that's, that's meaningful and that, that has, has hope and love, and, I, and so I wanted to talk to people that had that type of thing, and so I wanted to introduce, you know, so let me give you a little background. I think I had told you before the interview that I'm, I'm one of 10 kids, I'm number nine, and, um, you know, just blessed to be from the family that I was from. My, my, my parents, uh, Tom and Joanne, my dad's 98 now, um, and uh, he lives with my sister out in Seattle, and, uh, but my mom had a, um, uh, she was, she grew up in Spokane, Washington. She was born in Spokane and, um, their family had a relationship with this group called the poor Claire's of Spokane. Right. And so the poor Claire's, as you know, um, is an order that lives in simplicity and lives off of the charity of others completely. And so my grandparents, um, who were in Spokane had a relationship with them way back in the early 1900s. And now I have, a, you know, I've rekindled that relationship through my uncle, who's a Jesuit priest who became there, who would say mass for them all the time. So I'm understanding your, your situation when you're with a number of nuns that are living um, in community and it's such a beautiful life of, uh, you know, dealing with each other. So, um, wow, that's, that's a great story about you getting closer to, to your faith at this point in time. Yeah, it's really, a, it's, it's a gifted time. And, you know, uh, it, what you say about the anger, I read about it, you know, and I hear it on the news and, and I feel sad in a way because it, this really is a time for us to be able just to review things, just to, to look at, is this, you know, is the way I've been living the way I want to live? Is this the legacy that I want to leave to the people who will follow after me? And, uh, you know, what are my gifts and what, what are the things that give me life and energy, not just my work, but what are the things that are in my heart that I really want to express and I want to be expressed in the world while I'm still here, you know? And uh, so I, I, I feel sad for people who have no inspiration and who have no, this is why I'm happy to do this interview, because I just long that that you know, I, one of the things I was going to say in the in the interview when you when I got some of the questions, you know, when I was in school for the first eight years, I was learning and and that was wonderful and everything. And then I was sent to a convent school where there were nuns that were teaching us. And during those years, my heart w woke up uh, because I was being taught about things of the heart and not just about the mind. And so I was being taught to be a good person, to be loving and to work with my fears and my anxieties and, and to not be afraid of pain and vulnerability. And those things kind of awoke something inside of me that was much, much deeper than I had ever had in school before that. And that's why I loved that school and I loved the sisters and wanted to become like them. And wow. then it was that inspiration, you know? So now I sit and I'm old and, uh, and so on, but I, it, I'm, I'm just, totally grateful for what has been given and so 
that's wonderful. You know, one of my favorite saints is uh, a nun, uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, and oh, yeah. um, I, 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 you know, um, you know, world famous, obviously, um, and you know, known more from her about her actions by most of the world than by her spirituality. I mean, um, obviously, you know, we're all proud of her, and you know, where she, you know, she, she grew up. I think she was born in Albania. That's ended right. Up entering a uh, some Irish nuns yeah. and was a school teacher in India and then saw the profound you know a profound need and kind of moved to that and then formed her own order to serve the desperately poor in Calcutta right. and so I think that's the same you know your journey is interesting to me um, in that you know if you could just tell us you know, give us a, a brushstroke of your upbringing, and then what led you to your your main vocation that you that you've lived over these years. Okay, so I was uh, I was the last. I was the youngest uh, in a family of six. My uh, father worked in timber and was a, 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 away quite a bit. Uh, he wasn't interested in spirituality or in spiritual things. My mother on the other hand, was very interested in those things. So there was a bit of difficulty in that sort of thing that, that uh, my father uh, just didn't, had never touched it before and so on. And uh, so uh, we were sent to the public school. We all went to the public school. And then uh, when the war came, my brother had to, uh, his school was on flex time. And uh, he was, so he got a job in a factory and he made quite a bit of money. And he said, I'd like to go away to school. And my mother said, well, I, she came from Toronto and was, we were living in Akron, Ohio at that time in, in the States. I was born and raised there. And so uh, my mother said, I know a wonderful school and it's St. Michael's and you should go there. So he took it, took off and went there. And, uh, and then there was some money left and my mother in my, to my mother. And so she talked to my father and sent the two eldest girls to the sisters in Toronto to boarding school and so on. And so it just progressed so that gradually we were all in school up here. And, uh, and then my father died suddenly of a heart attack. And um, after about a year, my mother said, what am I doing down here? You're all up there. So I'm coming up there. And uh, one by one, uh, each of us uh, asked and and really wanted to become Catholics because we were raised in the um, Episcopalian tradition. And my mother had taken us to church. We were in the choir and so on. So, so here we were then settled in Toronto and I was still in school with the sisters and, and everything. But as I said, I was, I was inspired by them and I was, uh, and so I wanted to join them. So after we had grade 13 at that time, which was the last year of high school and we, uh, I, I left at 19 and joined the convent. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. So this, this is a pretty big moment, right? So um, I have two uncles that became Jesuit priests and, you know, they did it at different times. But, okay, so you're out of high school. You really like the way the sisters, op you know, awakened your spirituality, your heart, vulnerability, yeah. all that type of stuff. How did your, your mother, how was that discussion with your mother about entering the vocation? Uh, I think she was happy because she loved the sisters and uh, she didn't give me any flack about that at all. 
uh, and um, my brothers and sisters thought I was crazy, which was typical because I, I, I was the youngest, so it, everything I did was crazy. But uh, I had learned about that, so I just tried to go along with it. My brother had entered the seminary, though, and he became a priest. And uh, he joined the order that ran his school in St. Michael's in Toronto and was a priest and a teacher all his life and a pastor. So, and he died a few years ago. So um, he had joined and then my sisters were getting married and so on. So, so it, there was no big deal. It was more, it was quite smooth actually. I just went from my graduation from high school and then I went to the convent. Now, the, the, and I was that with the Sisters of St. Joseph taught you as well? That's right. It was those sisters that taught me. So I went right to the place where I knew. Yeah. And, and so I've never, I've been to Montreal, but I've never been to the, um, the Basilica St. Joseph. Is that a pretty impressive place? It's a beautiful place. It's, it's very nice. I'm in Toronto, but the Basilica is. It's a, and a lot of things have happened there, you know, I think miracles and so on. I've been to it a couple of times and there are all these crutches hanging on the wall and things where oh. people found a cure from St. Joseph in that, um, in that oratory. But it's on, it's on a, a small little hill. I mean, Montreal is full of hills and, and so on, but this is on a hill. So it's impressive in the sense of going up towards it and, and so on. It's a lovely shrine. You know, um, I, the, um, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say that um, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton started out uh, in the Church of England and then became a Catholic too. I'm not so sure about that. Is that true? I don't know because I don't know her well enough. I know who she is, but I don't know her well. Well, she was, she was the, I believe, is the first American uh, saying, at least a woman. And, as, as, and I think she's, she's the one that started the Catholic school system pretty much in, in America. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so then tell me about your approach. How you, you went into um, to, uh, the convent and then what happened? What, what, so how, how did you move in? So I was 19 years old. I couldn't express to you how naive I was because I had been, you know, very sheltered in my family and so on. So I wasn't, uh, I, I had dates and so on in high school, but I mean, hopeless in terms of just knowing about the world and about life and so on, uh, and quite naive. But uh, the novitiate doesn't help you with that very much because it's all spirituality. So it's not very much about really living in life. And uh, so after I made my first vows, I was sent to teacher's college and uh, became a teacher and I taught for 15 years. So I taught in, in a lower school and then I went on to teach in high school and so on. And uh, then it was during that, those teaching years that I made my final vows, I was always happy in the convent. I, I, I never had a big argument with, with it. So I can't say that I, you know, it was terribly hard for me. I, I was always happy. I had, there were good people. Everybody was kind to me. I, I didn't have any terrible superiors or anything like that. So I was saved, I think, from all that. And uh, just living and going to the next thing. And uh, then in 1967, I uh, went to a lecture one night because we had to go out in partners and uh, this one of the sisters I was studying at the time, and she said she wanted to go out. 
and I uh, I said, what is it? She said, it's a lecture at the university, and and uh, uh, I said, who is it? She said, I don't know. She said, it's a man from France, and he works with people with disabilities. And I said, I'm really not interested, but I said, if you can't find anybody else, I'm free, so I'll go with you. <laughs> so she came at supper, and she said, I didn't find anybody, so I said, okay, I'll go. So I sat down, and then this man began to speak, and my heart just went up. It was... And it's it's quite hard because right now, particularly John Vanier had been a, has been a huge influence in my life, and it's just been revealed in the last since December that John had been a, a, he had been accused of abusing some women, and so now we have this kind of double thing with Jean, and it's very very difficult for me because I knew him for fifty years. He was a huge huge impact in my life. And um, spiritually, I would say he was the one who gave me the the living Jesus. I mean, his his lectures and his talks and his retreats. I I learned about Jesus, who is alive for me in that sense. So I I'm going to speak about him because I really love him, and I also respect those women. I'm not in any way putting. I pray for them, and I'm very sorry that that happened, and I don't I don't approve, of course. But I don't know how to put all that together because I never saw anything similar to that in my relationship with Joan. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I went to this lecture. He was giving the lecture and he started talking about, again, I can tell you this after 50 years, he started talking about the poor and he had welcomed some people with intellectual disabilities to live with him from institutions in France. And he said, uh, you know, poverty is a difficult thing because he said, it's, it's like a circle. He said, when, we, when we're poor, we're, we're, we're not feeling good about ourselves. And then we don't take care of ourselves because we, we don't have any reason to and nobody's looking at us anyway. And so it's like a cycle and you just keep getting, you go down and you can't get out of it unless somebody reaches in and gives you a hand. That's what he talked about that night. And I, I just, my heart, and he was talking about these little homes that he had, a couple of little homes in France with people with disabilities. Anyway, uh, he went back to France and, and so on. But I went up afterwards and I just said, I, I was very moved by that. And he said, well, I'm coming back in March and I'll be giving a weekend. And so, so I went to the weekend and, and so on. So that's how I got to know him. And uh, that large movement was just uh, kind of moving out of France. There were people that went there and uh, served there and then wanted to come back to their own home countries and start. So there was a couple that had come back to Canada in the in 1960s, in the late 60s, and they were just starting a community here called L'Arche Daybreak. And uh, so anyway, after I had been a year or two or three listening to Jean Vanier and going to these talks and everything I just thought that'd be a nice place to to go so I so I went to my superior and I said I'd like to go to L'Arche and she said well that's nice but we need you to teach so just you know <laughs> so I said okay so but anyway then the next year I went back and I said I I really want to go to L'Arche right and uh, so on anyway uh she was she she listened and after two or three years, uh, I, I said to her one day, I said, you know, I think we should pray about this. Cause I said, if this is something we need to pray because maybe this is a call. I said, I don't know, but 
And uh, so she said, that's good. She said, let's do that. And she said, let's do it for two or three weeks. And she said, I'll call you. Don't you call me. So I said, okay. After about two or three or four days, I got this call. And she said, I think you should go. Unheard of, Joe. Completely. That is terrific. So, so then you, so you, you get this, you, you're inspired. You, you feel like you have a longing to help. And, um, and you, the, the, the part of that that people don't understand sometimes is that uh, about religious uh, orders, et cetera, is there is an obedience factor to it. Correct. And uh, it sounds like you were there and, you know, um, God first, other second, me last. And, and, you know, you're there, you get the permission to, to, to branch out, to, 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 to go and tell, tell us about moving to Arch. How, how was that? Well, it's so funny because uh, when I started getting ready and everything, I, I, I looked in the mirror one day and I said, I don't know one thing about people with disabilities. I hardly have met anybody. I'm scared of people on the street when I see them. Yeah. Yeah. What, what am I doing? What am I doing? I had had an opportunity to visit the community in France and I was very comfortable there. But I mean, basically in my own self, I had no experience at all. And um, anyway, I just said, well, now it's happened. I've got to just do it. So, so I got myself there and um, there were uh, 12 people with disabilities in the house and 12 assistants. And because we had a farm and the people worked on the farm. So some of the assistants worked on the farm and some of the assistants uh, worked in the home. And uh, the day I got there, I was the head of that house. I was responsible for it. So the director welcomed me and said I was very, he was so happy I was there and so on. And then he said, here's the, here are the gov here's the manual from the government of the responsibilities of the person who's responsible for the home. And of course it was, <laughs> just way over the top for me I because I, I, I was teaching school I didn't know anything right yeah and uh, so how old were you how old were you then sister uh that would have been in 70 72 so I was born in 33 so I was 29 or 39 so okay so you're so basically you get there you basically have no nothing experience running anything nothing <laughs> well, I was principal of the schools, you know, so I could organize. Okay. Of course, that was my great gift. As a sister, everything has to be clean. It has to be, yeah. you know, everything has to be put away and so on. These assistants were people who were hippies at the time, kind of walking across the country and then just stopping in and saying, I'd like to stay. And then they stay for a year or two with their backpack. And, and they are as messy as you could imagine. <laughs> And so I'm in there trying to, you know, you open the door of their bedroom and you just fall over in a faint because it's so terrible. And right. so they just couldn't bear having me as the leader. It was so awful. And uh, so we had to compromise a little bit both ways. And uh, no, I, again, the people that I learned to know there and to care about uh, were just amazing friends. How long were you there, sister? 40 years. So you were at Larsh Daybreak for 40 years. So how big is, is, is Larsh in Canada? I think there are about 30 communities in Canada. Wow. And 
uh, that's in all the big cities and then in, in rural areas as well. Some of the communities are very small, one or two homes, and then other communities, like at one time at daybreak, we had 14 homes. So then we divided and we half the homes were in downtown Toronto and half were in a suburb north of Toronto. So, so that's how you sort of evolve with the thing. And so you don't want to get huge because the smaller communities can have a better life together, you know, and, uh, you know, emphasize the whole community aspect of it. And so tell me, tell me a little bit about that. So, you know, I, I've, I've read some of your, um, I haven't read your books yet. I'd like to read those and I, I, I will, but I want, I just kind of skimmed some of the, some of your career. And one of the things that you mentioned was that um, you've, you've learned a lot from these people that you've dealt with over the last 40 years and learned a lot, a lot about, you know, what it means to, to be, you know, poor yeah. and what it means to listen to people and what, how to learn from these folks. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I, one of the questions that you had sent that you might ask, and it was, you know, who are the people that have influenced your life? And uh, I would say that I, I really have received so much from these people, I can't tell you. Um, and I think one of the things that has a, a, a turning point for me when I kind of realized it is uh, that Jesus says, blessed are the poor. He doesn't say, blessed are those who care for the poor. Right. And so it, I went and so many of us go to the poor with that attitude of, I want to help these poor things. So we go and we pour ourselves out and we dump stuff on them, but we never are open to kind of a mutuality. And the wonderful thing about L'Arche is it's a community. So everybody has gifts and as they come and as they get settled and so on, we're talking to them about giving their gift to the community, whatever that is. And maybe you can't speak and maybe you can't uh, do a lot of things because your your body isn't so good. But one thing you have is this amazing smile. And we have so many visitors here and, and they need to know that they're welcome. So your job is to smile and to make, make visitors feel welcome and to show them around the house and to do that. So that's your gift. And that, so every year we, we have a, a, a night where we say the gift that I'll give the community next year is this gift. This is the gift I have. And everybody in the community has a gift. We make a poster, we put it on the wall, and then we call people to give their gifts. So tonight we're having visitors. So you, madam, are responsible to welcome them, to give them their seats at the table and so on. And so they just rise up. And of course they're delighted because they have responsibility and because that's their job and they wanna do it well and they wanna do it for the whole community. Wow, and maybe that's the first time they've been asked ever, to, ever. To, to, yeah, rather than, because, you know, that's, I, I always find that in relationships is, you know, we, you know, sometimes, you know, we think, oh, we, we want to give, 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 but really, it's really important to let other people give to us, isn't it? Oh, I'll tell you. And, and the, the thing, what they do give us, I mean, again, another really life-changing thing for me, one night we were at the table and, and it was a big table, there were a lot of us there, and uh, one of the men worked on the farm and he used to come in and he'd uh, come to the dinner table, but he wouldn't take his shower <laughs> before he came to the table. So when he came to the dinner table, you'd have this lovely dinner and then you'd sit next to Paul and you, he smelled like the barn. And, uh, 
So he brought all the cows with him and so on. And uh, of course, me, the nun, I wanted to say everything's so nice, you know, so I'd say, Paul, you know, it'd be so nice if you'd take your shower before dinner because you're sitting at the table with all of us and so on. And that's just courtesy. And he'd say, yeah, he said, that'd be nice, but I don't like, I don't want to. And I, and so I had these conversations with him many times. So this night we were sitting at the table. I had cooked the dinner. I'd had a busy day. I cooked for all these people. I put the lovely dinner on the table, sat down next to Paul, and there were the cows right there, right in my face. And so I just lost it, you know, and I, I just, I don't know what happened. I turned to him. I said, Paul, I can't understand it. I said, this is so awful. I said, here's this beautiful dinner. And then I went on and he said, well, I told you. He said, I don't want to. He said, I don't like getting undressed twice. I have to get undressed and get dressed again for supper. He said, I like to get undressed and go to, and put on my pajamas and then go to bed. So he said, I, I, so anyway, I kept pushing. And of course I was, and everybody was dead silent at the table, was perfectly quiet. The mouths were open. They were just looking at us. And we had this horrendous fight right at the dinner table. And finally, Paul just got up and he slammed his chair into the into the table and he walked out and he slammed the dining room door. So then we're sitting there and I sort of looked across the table. I said, well, Mary, what did you do at work today? <laughs> <laughs> Tried to get things going again. So I was steaming, though, and I was hot and bothered and terrible. We did the dishes. I was still just racing to get out of there and I wanted to get to my room when I came out the door Frank a man with down syndrome was standing at the door waiting for me he said Sue come here and I said what is it Frank he said, come with me oh. so I followed him took me down to his bedroom he said sit down I sat on the bed he closed the door and he stood over me and of course I knew what he was I knew he was going to talk about the argument. So anyway, I was sitting there and I was waiting and he said, uh, I see you're having some trouble with Paul. <laughs> Felt like saying, you're very observant. <laughs> but anyway, I said, that's right, Frank. And I said, I'm really sorry. I said, I'm very sorry that happened. And I said, I don't want you to worry because I said, I'll go to Frank, to uh, Paul tonight. I said, Paul and I are friends. And I said, I'll, talk to Paul and we'll make that up. So you don't have to worry. I hope you won't, you know, I really want you to sleep tonight. I don't want you to think about this. It'll be fine. And he's standing looking down at me and I'm, uh, so I'm sort of apologizing as much as I can. And then, so there's this pause and he's just looking at me with this beautiful face, peaceful. And he just says, you know, Sue, if you want to help Paul, you have to love him. And then he said, that's all. And so he walked over and opened the door and I got up and walked out. But that was a turning point, Joe. That was a huge turning point because the absolute gift of Frank doing that for me. And it has influenced my whole life. If I what did it teach you? It taught me that I don't go and just give, but I go and I try to discover who is this person and what can we share as we walk together. And uh, maybe I have something to give.
but I certainly have something to receive. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. My my mom always told me you got one mouth and two ears, kid. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, do do a little more listening than talking. And I, I tell you, I think I would have been I would have been yelling at Paul too. Uh, you know, my kids. But you know, I I guess you know that's that's kind of the route. Um, you know, in my business, so I'm a trial lawyer. So, you know, one of the things that that I always, you know, I'm I'm very egotistical. Uh-huh. I I am a hard worker, a little you know vain, all those types of things, and that's why I really need to dive deep into my faith, because that's the opposite of where I need to be to be effective. You know, and I I, I think you're right. I think that vulnerability, that no that that understanding that you don't have all the answers that you need you need god in your life that you need others in your life to help you all those things are such great gifts that i've kind of picked up you know it took a long time it takes it takes a long time for these things to happen i think we get hit by a lot of different slack in life and you know we try and figure that stuff out but boy that that vulnerability um, not having all the answers and listening to even the, even the, you know, my, I have 11 year old listening to my 11 year old and tell me what he thinks about things yeah. is important. So important. It's so important. And there's something so beautiful about what they're telling you, but we're going too fast. And we're, so we're, we're not stopping to be present when it's happening for us. And therefore we don't get it. We just don't take and run what are some of the the, the um you know the, the i'm getting the message from you that you're a, that you've had a very very happy life oh yeah and you're happy right now oh yeah so give me some give me some of the and i think you know uh my generation and the upcoming generations they want that too they want it bad no question they, maybe they don't have the recipe book for it Give us some habits for you. I know you don't you don't claim to have all the answers, and I and I know that you you've read, written books. You're a spiritual advisor. You do all these different things. Give us some habits that you have in your life that that have, that have aided you through through this roller coaster of a life we all have. Okay, I I think that's a really good question because I I've had to learn those things as I go along, and I I really believe that there are things we can choose to do. Uh, I, and I was saying earlier that this time that we have now to just look at our lives and say, is this how I want to live? Is, is, are these the kind of relationships I want to have? And for me, one really important thing is if I don't, well, if I do want to have something, if I want to have a life, if I want to find joy and, and so on, I need to be accountable for what I want. In other words, I have to take count of where I'm not doing what makes me happy. And uh, so I always say that we need people in our lives to whom we say, I trust you, I want to come regularly, maybe six or seven or eight times a year, and I want to sit down and I want to just go through. Here are the areas that I want and feel successful in, but here are the ones where I'm falling down. And if you have any words for me, I'd be grateful to have those. I'd be grateful if you'd talk to me about that. So I, you don't have to uh, you know, tell me what to do, but just give me your ideas. What, what, has, what has helped you? 
And so for, the, for all the years of my life, I've had people, Jean Vanier was one of them, and I would go and just spill the beans. I'd say, I hate everybody, and I am ready to <laughs> kill everybody, and so, so on. And then, you know, he'd just laugh like you're doing. And, and, uh, and then he'd say, you know, so uh, how's your prayer life? How are you spending any time in solitude? Are you listening to your heart? Are you, and, and those things were just so helpful to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have to stop every day. I have to, I have not long, but I have to reflect and I have to say yes to be who I want to be. And for those vulnerabilities, I don't have to apologize too much. I'm, I'm trying, I'm doing my best, but I don't have to apologize for not being perfect. And, uh, so and so I've learned that 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 whole thing of being accountable to somebody is very the other thing is who are the people who are my friends and who are the people that I spend time with and uh that where there's interaction where where yes we we like each other because I have something to offer and you have something to offer and so we're there to to choose those kind of friends and not friends that I have to be telling them they're so wonderful all the time, or I have to perform for them. Not, not those kind. Right. So I choose the people and I spend time with people who are mutually on the path with me. And uh, so I think, I think that's a, that's also very important. I think times of quiet and solitude are important once a year to take some time, maybe to just go into silence for a couple of days and, and to have some reflection time. Those are things that have helped me along the way greatly. That's great. And then um, I know that you you mentioned some folks already that have been pivotal in your life. Are there any other folks that, that you know that have been really pivotal people in your life that have kind of shown you the, you know the right way to be? Well, this uh, man who is an author that I spoke about before we started the vi- the video, uh, his name is Henry Nowen, and he's a spiritual writer. He was a priest, uh, came from Holland. Uh, this was a man <laughs> who was completely off the rails in, in so many ways, just with a huge heart and uh, a, a mind that just like a trap that could grasp everything. So it was a gift, but it was also just very, very hard that um, he was very, very bright, taught at Harvard and at Yale and uh, hated hated uh, Harvard, just saying, just hated it because it was so looking for uh, power and, you know, money and so on. And he just said, you couldn't talk about God there and be comfortable. And he didn't like that. And, and I think, uh, and he went to South America for a year wanting to give his life to the poor. He lived with some priests there. And I mean, after he, he was just nervous and anxious and he was, he was all over the place. This man though, again, he, he lived with us for 10 years at Lars Debray. And uh, when he came to join us as our pastor, we asked him to look after the most handicapped person in his home. He had to live in the home with the people and he had to help Adam with his morning routine. <laughs> Adam couldn't stand, he couldn't walk, he couldn't uh, get out of bed. Henry had to get him up, get take him to the bath. He had to walk with him and hold him because he couldn't walk by himself. And he had to give him the bath and Adam didn't speak. 
and so, and of course, Henry, who he never stopped talking and he never, he just was really anxious and nervous and everything for him to slow down that much for two hours to just get Adam up and dressed and have his breakfast and go to work. It just killed him. It just was so hard. And uh, he wrote a book about it and it was, it, you know, and then he says, of all the people in my life, of all the spiritual directors of everybody, Adam was the one who taught me the most. Wow. You know? So Frank for you and Adam for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and this man also was very influential in my life. We were very, very good friends. And uh, Henry had a very serious breakdown after a couple of years at Larch Day Break. And uh, so he, he really had to go through that. But of course, it brought out his genius. And he wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it's a classic. I mean, this is, a, I'll send it to you, but it's, it's a book you have to read. And then there's now a new book coming out about it, uh, which is uh, Henry Now and, and the Return of the Prodigal Son, which is talking about what was happening to him when he was writing this book, because he was, he was just on the ground. He couldn't hardly get up. But he was a beautiful, beautiful soul. And he gave us so much. He was so talented and um, so pastoral because of his heart being so, uh, I don't know how to say that, so open, so welcoming. so, And a man who could speak about his vulnerabilities, I mean, he just named them. And we'd say, you know, like people would say, oh, he's, he's too confessional, as it were. But he, he said, we can talk about our wounds as long as we have dressed them. He said, the wounds have to be bandaged. So when I talk about my wounds, I'm not saying you need to come and help me. I'm just saying, this is what I'm dealing with and I'm dealing with it. So you don't have to worry, but just so you know that this is what I'm dealing with. And I think that's very critical and crucial that we can talk about our wounds as long as we're taking care of them apart from kind of our everyday conversation. Yeah, I, you, know, I, you know, I see that. Um, in our culture, there's a lot of, um, I guess, a facade yeah. of what we what we want the world to see, exactly. and you know, and the social media and all that stuff. What we want what, and there's less authenticity. Right. And I, I I think this new generation coming, you know, wants and yearns for authenticity, and and what we're talking about right now, and and so these stories are are really great to talk to you about. And as I understand it, that when um, this good priest passed away, he named you as the person that was supposed to <laughs> deal with his works, right? That's right, his literary. Wow, that's, that's a pretty big responsibility, sister. Well, it was, and, and uh, yeah. But I, I just wanna say, when you talk about this generation, I've had a chance in the last couple of years to be working with some millennials and uh, doing some, some work with them. And the thirst that I find in them and what they're doing in response to that is so marvelous. There's, a, there's an organization now called uh, Sacred Designs. And it's, it's a couple of Harvard graduates from Harvard Divinity School who have taken an interest in the sort of what they call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Right. Yes. They have no, you say, what faith tradition do you belong to? None of the above. I don't, I, church isn't for me. Right. But right. 
but the longing in my heart and the desires that I have for, the, for transformation, self-transformation, transformation of the society, these are things that I'm longing for and I'm willing to put my life on the line. And so Sacred Designs is helping people to do that. And now there's an organization called Nuns and Nuns. So the N-U-N-E-S and the N-O-N-E-S are getting together. They have monthly phone calls and the young people go and five of them went and spent three, six months in a, Dominica, in a convent in California and lived there with the sisters. They had no religious tradition they went to work every day and they did their work, but they lived there with the sisters and it was very transformative for them. So, so I think you're very correct that they're looking for the kind of things that we're talking about, but we have to present them in maybe in a, in a bit of a different way and not put too much of a, uh, what I want to say, a traditional uh, enclosed kind of spirituality, but that allows some, some fresh air to be uh, around that, you know, uh, this one woman who was grieving her mother's loss, and uh, she they wanted her back at work a week after the funeral, and she went back to work, and they were saying, "Why are you so grieved? Like, drop it. Your mother died. Like, let's go." Mm. And she just couldn't do it, and everything. And so she met this other woman who had lost her boyfriend. She said, "We got to have dinner together." They started to have dinner, and the, talked about their their grief and their their anguish and their mourning. And uh, when the woman left, she said, I'm coming back next week. And she brought friends. Anyway, this called now the dinner party and it's in 300 cities in the United States. And people who come together just to talk about losing something that's valuable to them and, and it's a safe place and they can talk together. I mean, these are beautiful works that the young people are doing. So yeah, I agree. I, I, I tell you, I, I uh, employ millennials and I am completely impressed with, you know, their work ethic and, and where they're at. And I, and I, I have some as kids. I have, I have six kids oh, good. And, and from 25 to 11. And um, <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, you're taught there. things every day. Yeah. You're about, there. Yeah. You're there. <laughs> I'm living in community too, sister. <laughs> you you know. are. <laughs> yeah. And, we don't probably get as long as well as you and the sisters do, um, but but uh, Saint Michelle, my uh, my wife, is she tries to keep it all together for all of us, and and so we're we're trying. But uh, listen, I one thing is I I could talk with you for hours, and I'm hopeful that I can talk to you down the road about issues that come up, because I think you've got something here that you can share with people. This um, you know, just just from your life with Larch, um, being you know being in a situation where, you know, you're not the one that is teaching everything to everybody, but you're learning from these beautiful people that God created and and, and purposely put in your life to make a difference in your life. I think it's you know something that we could talk about, and then we could talk about. I really want to talk to you about all the what your favorite books are, what you know, all that kind of stuff down the road. But will you will you have a conversation with me later on down the road after this one takes off. <laughs> I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> That's great. That's as long great. as I have energy. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, so before we end, can you tell me, do you follow any Toronto uh, sports teams? Yes, I like the Blue Jays. <laughs> they they won a couple. They won a couple uh, World Series titles, didn't they? In 1992. <laughs> 
Okay, so this is my sore spot. So Toronto Blue Jays. So I'm, I grew up in Washington State in a little town called Yakima. And the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays became expansion teams the same year, 1977. And the Blue Jays have been to the World Series, I think, more than once. And they've won one. Mariners have never been to the World Series. And so I feel bad about it. So can you please pray for my Seattle Mariners to actually just go one time? Since I'll think about that one, Joe. <laughs> well, good enough. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you so much for um, everything that you've done uh, and then you're doing. And, and I'll pray for the Sisters of St. Joseph in Toronto. And, and I'll tell my kids at the dinner table that we spoke to somebody that's pretty important that maybe we could read more about you. Thanks a million. It's been beautiful right. to talk to you. Thank you. All right. Take care, sister. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.